This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today, we'll talk about weed management and harvest aids with weed scientist, Dr. Drew Lyon. We do have some effective herbicides out there. In this part of the world, nature doesn't always provide us with the moisture at the right time to get those products activated and going, and that increases our um, need to use things other than herbicides for weed control. Because we've had 30 years of really effective herbicides, that's the first place a lot of growers think. But um, I think we're going to have to start thinking more about uh, other approaches, things we used to do 40 and 50 years ago before herbicides were so effective. Dr. Drew Lyon is a professor in the Endowed Chair of Small Grains, Extension and Research for Weed Science at Washington State University in Pullman, Washington. Prior to moving to Washington in 2012, he spent 22 years as a dryland cropping systems specialist at the University of Nebraska at the Panhandle Research and Extension Center in Scotts Bluff. His endowment is from the Washington Grain Commission, so he spends a lot of his time with wheat growers, but many of them also have pulses in their rotations. You might remember hearing from Drew back in season one of this podcast, where on that episode, we focused on desiccation and harvest aids. We'll touch on that again in today's episode, but mostly today we focus on integrated weed management of pulses, most specifically chickpeas, from cultural practices to herbicides to biologicals. And to kick things off, I asked Drew to give us a bit of an overview of the weed issues that pulse growers are dealing with in his area of Washington state. You know, we've had pretty good options for controlling grassy weeds in pulses, although herbicide-resistant Italian ryegrass is posing a problem because there's a lot of our, especially post-emergence grass materials that can be used in, in pulses aren't working all that well on Italian ryegrass anymore, but some of the soil-applied ones still are. So it's tended to look at the broadleaf weeds because we have fewer good broadleaf weed control products for pulses, especially post-emergence. And, um, yeah, trying to look at that. And there are some products that will control broadleaf, some of our troublesome broadleaf weeds in pulse crops. But, you know, they're soil applied. It's different on the other side of the of the Rockies. But on, on this side, the west side of the Rockies, we tend to be a, a winter precip zone. So as we move into the spring, we tend to start getting drier. So we often will put down a, a soil applied herbicide and then struggle to get the moisture we need to really activate that herbicide, especially in, in systems where we're not using tillage uh, for incorporation. So I've looked at trying to move some of those applications up early, things like uh, Spartan being applied a month or two early, even sometimes looking at fall applications to see if we can get that activation and still have good weed control the, the following year. So trying to get better broadleaf weed control in the pulses has been an an issue and something we've looked at. We A few years back, uh, we worked to get uh, Tough labeled for post-emergence weed control. And, and Tough's been a good addition because uh, it's very good on common lambs quarters. And common lambs quarters has been a major problem for us. It doesn't have a broad spectrum of weeds it controls, but the ones it's good on, it's really good on. So it was nice to get that added to our repertoire for, for chickpeas. Chickpeas are quite tolerant of Tough. And uh, lamb's quarters are quite susceptible to it. So it's it's been good for that uh, aspect. And then just playing around with the chemistries we have for broadleaf weed control has been what a lot of my work's been. We've been looking at some things here recently for Italian ryegrass control because those options are getting less and less with resistance. But we haven't really succeeded in getting some things labeled. 
but we're looking at things, things like uh, goal, putting down EPTAM the year before, planting a pulse crop. My colleague, Dr. Burks, looked at uh, cracking treatments with Paraquat. So coming in, in uh, spent some time in working in peanuts down in the southeast, and they have Paraquat labeled for peanut applications. And it looks pretty good in our, our studies at getting small things that, um, so if our soil applied herbicide doesn't get activated by rainfall, you come in with this cracking treatment, take care of the little weeds and buy yourself a little more time to try and catch a rain. Unfortunately, that hasn't uh, received labeling yet. I think there's some interest in the company, but then Paraquat's being looked at, uh, you know, so they're, they're probably a bit hesitant to add new things to the label. And of course, if you if you do end up injuring chickpeas, usually the bill is <laughs> is kind of high, so they might be a little hesitant uh, thinking about the risk-reward benefit of that kind of labeling. But it looks, uh, in his study, it looks pretty safe on small, just emerging chickpeas. So we'll see. We'll see if that goes anywhere. Again, it doesn't, you know, it's a contact herbicide. It just gives you a, a quick burn down, but it might buy you a little more time, let your chickpeas get a little bit bigger, a little more competitive before the weeds come on. And and that's really kind of key with um, with the pulse crops, especially chickpeas. Uh, they're not a very competitive crop. You know, they don't tend to uh, compete well with weeds. So most weed competition occurs early. So the weeds that come up at or close to the same time as the chickpeas do, those are the weeds that tend to rob the most yield from your crop. So if you can keep your weeds under control early, even if you get some weeds later, that might cause harvest issues. They don't cause the kind of yield loss that the weeds that come up with the crop cause. And one thing that Drew says has changed in eastern Washington in recent years has been the growth of Roundup Ready canola acres. Drew says this is one example of a situation that can end up leading to some weed resistance to some of the most effective chemical tools. The state of Washington invested some money in in getting that up and going, and the market uh, Viterra came in and is purchasing it. We have a plant in the eastern Washington that uh, handles it, so it's easy to uh, get it there. So we've actually seen our canola acres really explode, particularly our spring canola acres. And a big reason for that is Italian ryegrass control. So they're using Roundup Ready canola to control the Italian ryegrass. One of my concerns is that we know we can select for Italian ryegrass that's resistant to glyphosate because we've already done it in our orchards <laughs> where they use glyphosate over and over again. And so I'm a little nervous about relying too much on glyphosate. So I've been looking at ways to get other herbicide mechanisms of action into that canola. So we're not just relying on our, our glyphosate. And, and that's really, a, I guess that's another point to be made in all crops right now is is trying to get more than one mechanism of action in on controlling the most problematic weeds. Our history is we throw one one mechanism at it until it doesn't work anymore, and then we go find another mechanism until that doesn't work anymore. But actually, the development of resistance can be slowed considerably by throwing two effective mechanisms of action at it at the same time. It's difficult to find a biotype out there that has the mutation that confers resistance to do different mechanisms at once. So trying to get um, 
a couple different mechanisms going is not a bad idea in any crop. Again, a little more difficult in, in a crop like chickpeas where there just aren't that many different products out there. But there are some options. You know, we have we have Spartan. We have, uh, you can combine that with some dinitroanilin, something like uh, Prowl or Sawlin that uh, will also have some activity on some of the small seeded broadleaves. And so you get a couple different actions working on something like common lamb's quarters rather than just one. And some of those weeds that Drew specifically mentions are big problems for pulse crop growers in his areas are common lands quarters, which you just mentioned, but also mayweed chamomile and some of the pigweeds as well. Through his long career in weed science, Drew has seen herbicide tools come and go, both in their effectiveness and in their availability. So he's a big advocate for an integrated weed management program, which he says all starts with trying to grow as competitive of a crop as possible. In most of my talks, uh, when I talk about weed control, I, I remind growers that a good competitive crop is probably their best <laughs> best weed control. Most herbicides, I've put out, I don't know, hundreds of herbicide trials in my 30 plus career, and herbicides always look better in a competitive crop than they do in a non-competitive crop or a good stand of a crop. So you want to try and get as good uniform stand of crop as you can. In chickpeas, uh, you know, increased seeding rate, narrow rows. Growers are hesitant to increase seeding rate much because the seed's not cheap, but it actually is a good investment to have more plants out there competing. Been a number of studies in organic and conventional studies where that higher seeding rate just creates better competition and reduces the biomass produced by weeds. And I think it allows your herbicides to work better. So all those things you, you do to get a good stand of a competitive crop, you up the seeding rate, make sure it's good seed with good germ, treat the seed so it doesn't come down with uh, fungi, root rots, things like that. Plant it at the right time, so when the soil temperatures are at the right stage so that it comes up quickly. Again, you want to be competitive, you want your crop to come up ahead of the weeds, not with or behind the weeds. So, uh, you know, don't plant any deeper than you need to plant. Plant timely. Get your fertility right so that your uh, your crop can get the fertilizer before the weeds can. Make sure you don't have, um, that you're not planting into some herbicide residues from the previous crop that might cause problems with your stand. And then um, place the chickpeas in the rotation where, where they have the greatest benefit are helped by the preceding crop. So, if we know there are broadleaf crops, things like um, mayweed and lamb's quarters are, are a problem, plant the preceding crop or two to small grains or something where you have some herbicide options for controlling all those broadleaf weeds before you plant your chickpea crop. So all those things kind of come together to just give your crop the benefit over the weeds and make your herbicides that you do use more effective and give them a fighting chance to do their job because all herbicides really rely on crop competition to get the job done. If you spray a, a herbicide out there without any crop, they seldom are able to keep the weeds at bay. Like I say, competition is really key and especially for a crop like chickpeas where our, our herbicide options are a bit limited. Talk to corn and soybean growers, you know, they have all sorts of herbicides. It's kind of hard to get them to really focus on the integrated weed management strategies because they have a lot of good effective options, although they're getting fewer and fewer with herbicide resistance issues. But um, 
they're a little less likely to pick up on some of these things because they feel like the herbicides can do the trick. Herbicides won't do the won't do it all for you in chickpeas or they can, but you have to have everything line up just right and that usually doesn't happen every year. At least it doesn't here in the Pacific Northwest. And as most of you listening I'm sure can attest to Competitiveness can be a real challenge with a crop like chickpeas. Drew says there are some breeders out there trying to address this from the genetics side. We scientists have been encouraging chickpea breeders to breed for more competitiveness in their varieties. Of course, growers are interested in yield and you don't want to give up yield, but having a more competitive crop, whether that's a a better canopy or more quickly developing canopy, than we have in current varieties, um, that would be a real asset. And I think it'll be really key for weed control going forward if, if breeders will spend a little more time on that aspect of, of chickpea variety development. So, you know, that's longer term, but I think, I think a few breeders are looking at that as another thing to be looking at in their selection process. So, but basically it's, you know, making your crop more competitive and putting it into a a rotation where you can better manage those weeds that are problematic in your pulse crop. Looking at increasing seeding rates was mentioned by Drew, but also was mentioned by Dr. Perry Miller when we were talking about lentils earlier this season. I wondered how much above the recommended seeding rates someone would need to go to possibly benefit from a more competitive crop. We've gone up to about twice as much, and you do see an advantage at twice. Now, that economically, you know, I think that's pretty tough for growers to do. But it definitely um, suggests that you should be planting on the higher side of the recommended rate rather than the mid or lower side. So try not to skimp on on that recommended seeding rate. And use the higher side if, if you can up it. You know, it'll be interesting. There's some research being done in in other crops about um, perhaps increasing seeding rates in those portions of the field where weeds are more problematic and not using the higher seeding rates in other areas to kind of compensate for that. And, you know, as as our ability to make those changes on the go and our planters uh, moves along, that might be an option for people to look at, you know, get that higher seeding rate out there where you know you have weed issues and cut down to try to save costs in areas where it's not so much of an issue. I guess it's a pretty cool concept and one maybe we can explore on a future episode of this podcast, this variable rate seeding for sort of weed suppression and the research that he referenced there. But other than these practices of getting the crop up and competitive as much as possible, Drew says there are also things that can be done to try to manage the overall seed bank of the weeds found in the field. You know, you can use some light tillage sometimes to increase seed soil contact to try to germinate uh, some of these weeds before you, you plant. Uh, so maybe some tillage, light tillage after the preceding crop to get a, some weed seed up and going. We've seen that Italian ryegrass seed, if you disturb the soil surface just a little bit, you'll get a lot more of a flush that next spring than, than if you um, don't till it at all. So you can do something like that. You can try to not come back to your chickpea or your pulse crop for at least a couple of years to give you a chance to to work on the seed bank a bit. So if you can be out for two, three, four years between pulse crops, I think that can be an effective tool. Sometimes these weeds get to be a real problem and you know there's some thought about maybe you could uh, do a one-time 
deep plowing, place that seed down deep. But then once you do that, you don't want to plow again. You want to leave that seed down there for a lot. When you bury seed, it tends to last longer than when you leave it on the surface. So if you do bury it, you want to bury it. And then you don't want to bring it back up <laughs> for a while. You want to give it plenty of time for the things that Mother Nature does to um, drain the seed bank. That works better for small seeded weeds that can't emerge from depth than it does from large seeded weeds. But I guess the downside to that is a lot of our problematic weeds like mayweed chamomile, the seed can last quite a while. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a one-shot deal. You plow it and then you you really shouldn't be plowing it for quite some time. So it's, the idea is to reset the, the scale and then try to do everything you can from that point on to um, keep it under control because plowing probably isn't going to be what you want to want to do for quite some time. I, I remember talking to one grower who went no-till, started to get a real problem with mayweed, so he, he plowed it, and then he brought up some other mustards. I forget what the weed was, but something he had buried before he went into no-till was still out there. So yeah, you have to be a little careful about that. But I think as a, as a one-time reset, it can be effective, but then you can't count on doing it again as an effective tool for quite some time. And given some of these challenges we've discussed with resistance and regulation when it comes to chemical control, many might be wondering about biological options for weed control. Drew says there's a lot of interest in this area, but not a lot of effective products that he's worked with so far. But cover crops, he said, in some areas can be helpful with weed suppression if, of course, you have the moisture. You know, I think there's a lot of investment currently going into biologicals because it's actually easier, quicker to label those things than it is uh, to label a synthetic, organic type products, chemistries. But I really haven't seen a whole lot. In general, biologicals have been more effective in perennial crops and annual crops because you generally introduce them into an environment and then you need to give them time to spread and grow and get set up in there. And that works better in perennial systems than annuals where you're always disturbing the system and bringing new things every year. There are a few exceptions to that, but not very many right now. So I tend not to spend a lot of time on biologicals. The other thing that's getting some attention is, you know, the cover crops. So kind of cover crops as mother crops to try and control weeds during non-cropping periods gets a little more difficult in a lot of the areas where we grow chickpeas because uh, they tend to be a little drier areas. Uh, they tend to be more northern climates where the length of season is shorter, so your ability to grow a lot of biomass to compete with the weeds is, is limited. But there is work going on in there and trying to figure out where we can put those uh, cover crops in to get the most um, benefit for weed control. There is work being done there. So that's another area that... Uh, some research being done. You see most of it being done in the higher subhumid, humid regions of the country and in corn and soybeans. And, and one of the cover crop species that has been most effective there is rye. And of course, rye in wheat country is uh, <laughs> is a no-go. So we, it kind of takes that one off, off the table, which has been very effective in other settings, but probably won't be in anywhere we grow wheat. 
And this emphasis on integrated weed management, it's not only helpful in season, but also for putting growers in a better position at harvest. We talked at length about harvest aids with Drew back in season one, and I'll link to that episode in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to that. But I did want to revisit the topic just briefly to get more of Drew's thoughts on best practices for harvest aids. One of the stories I try to tell with Harvest Aid is one of the best ways to avoid the need for that is to do good weed control in your pulse crop from the start. And then you don't don't have to go in perhaps with those Harvest Aids. But so be thinking about the whole system. But uh, there's a number of um, products. There's, um, like you mentioned, glyphosate. There's Paraquat, the Gramoxones. Sharpen is also labeled, Cephalofenacil. Valor or flumioxazin is labeled. AIM, carfentrazone is labeled. So these tend to be contact products. They're not really so much translocated. So getting good coverage is important. So getting your gallonage up, shooting for maybe smaller droplets. You know, you don't want to be drifting everywhere, but smaller droplets rather than larger droplets, higher, higher gallonage to get your better coverage. Because unlike glyphosate, which translocates through the plant, these products generally just burn the tissue on which they come into contact. So um, they dry down the plant. And so you want to get as much of the plant covered as possible. So there are some options. We I know we have some um, some buyers, chickpea buyers, who basically told their growers they don't want them using glyphosate because of the negative press about glyphosate. And so they're they're looking at these other other options for harvest aid treatments in pulse crops. But again, if you have good weed control early, we sometimes have to use harvest aids because chickpeas is an indeterminate crop. So as long as it has moisture, it's going to keep trying to grow. And so what we tend to get is our hillsides and hilltops are, are ready for harvest and our our lower areas are, are still green. So we sometimes just have to help the, the green stuff dry down so we can harvest it. But if the real issue is harvest aid to get the weeds down under control, you can save yourself time, money, and worry by doing a good job of weed control in the growing pulse crop. I think a crop like chickpea, which a lot of it goes into the human food consumption, I think there's going to be a trend for buyers to not want to see any harvest aids used. So I think we need to look at, at ways to try to avoid that as best we can. I think we're going to have to start thinking more about uh, other approaches, things we used to do 40 and 50 years ago before herbicides were so effective to help us manage weeds because I think herbicide resistance is bringing us back to that point where herbicides aren't going to be the sole means by which we control weeds in our crops. And when all is said and done, Drew says his advice on weed management comes down to three basic principles. Don't get weeds started, do everything you can to grow a competitive crop, and always be changing things up. Prevent weed problems from starting. If you don't have certain weeds on your farm, make sure you don't get them. So things like cleaning your your equipment between fields, buying certified seed, or making sure your seed isn't contaminated with weeds. So don't get a weed problem that you don't have. Do everything you can to grow a competitive crop. Get a good stand of a competitive crop. So all those husbandry things, uh, agronomic things you do for that. And then the other thing is to change things up. Anytime you do the same thing over and over again, you tend to select for those weeds that do well in that system. So change your rotational crop selection every once in a while. 
change maybe your tillage practices you use every once in a while, change planting times, uh, just keep the uh, the weeds off off balance. So those are kind of the three principles of integrated weed management. Don't get weeds started, do everything you can to grow a competitive crop and just change things up. Human nature is that we like to stick with things until we break them, but that's the recipe for, for getting weed problems. So. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode on weed management. Thank you so much to Dr. Drew Lyon for being on the show today. I hope you found those tips both helpful and practical, some important things to consider and remember there. So thank you very much to Drew. Also, make sure you're a subscriber to the Growing Pulse Crops podcast because you don't want to miss our next episode with Dr. Abby Wick. I do think that people need to be aware of how they're going to keep that residue on the surface and, and probably it's with the, the crops they're growing in between those pulse crops in rotation. Uh, they could build up some of the residue. But yeah, it's exciting. I think there's a ton of potential with pulse crops. And fortunately, we can grow them here in the Northern Plains. And I feel I feel bad for some of those places where they can't grow pulse crops because there's no market or the climate doesn't support that. So I think we're in a great position here in the Northern Plains to do some really cool things with soil health and pulse. Again, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that upcoming episode. The Growing Pulse Crops podcast series is overseen by the Pulse Crops Working Group with funding from the Northern Pulse Growers Association, the North Central IPM Center, USDA NIFA, and the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council. We're releasing these episodes two times per month throughout the growing season, and we want to make sure the information stays relevant to you. So if you're finding it useful, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or both. And feel free to tweet us by using the hashtag Hashtag growing pulse crops. We'll be back with another great episode in a couple weeks.